Welcome, everybody. I appreciate you coming out this morning. I will eventually give up the, the position I now have as the speaker for the breakfasts. One day I will not be here, and you can get somebody else. But for now, it's me. Um, I... Oh, it's okay. It's not Jesus or anything. Um, I was in the bank the other day and uh, doing some banking, and I saw Bob in there, and I said hi to him on the way out. And I went to my car, and the door was open, and I went to get in my car, and it was Bob's car. I saw some brushes in the back that weren't mine, and then I looked up at the window, and here's Bob looking at me and smiling at me. <laughs> I thought it was very unchristian myself. Um, how many of you have ever done that? At least put your hand. Thank you. Thank you, brothers. Thank you. Um, if I have talked to you in the last couple of weeks, I have probably mentioned Jeremiah. You know, when you first start out looking at a book, it seems like there's absolutely nothing there for those of you who are preachers. You read over it and you say, hey, there's nothing there to preach. And then you keep reading and you keep studying and you meditate and you think about it. And somehow there's an incubation here of the truth that God reveals to you. And I have agonized over Jeremiah. Because it is so good. It is so wonderful. It is so real. He was the kind of guy, in spite of everything he went through, that when God spoke through him, there was a relationship between Jeremiah and God, which is unique. I know there was Isaiah and the other minor prophets, but Jeremiah had a heart for people and a heart for God. He lived in a very difficult time. Manasseh, he came to the kingdom by the time Manasseh for 55 years had ruined Israel. In the sovereignty of God, one of the things he never explains is why he lets evil flourish and doesn't do something about it. Josiah was only eight years old, Manasseh's son, when he came to be king. That, that's all they had, an eight-year-old. By the time he's 21, they make this amazing discovery in the temple that was used for everything else except the worship of Jehovah. This nation had allowed itself to go downhill so badly. And they had offended God. And that's what Jeremiah is all about. Jeremiah is about God asking him for the people, through the people, to the people. I remember when I first met you, God said, in the desert, you loved me with all your heart. You would consider any sacrifice for me a huge thing. <clears throat> and now you sacrifice your children in the valley of Hinnom. You actually kill your own kids in the fire. You worship every idol. And we, you know, the logical question for us in 2016 is, we, we don't do that kind of stuff. And as I began to get into Jeremiah, we do exactly that kind of stuff. 
I, I really struggled with this. I have 17 pages of notes, which I didn't even bring. Because I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do I communicate what happened 2,500 years ago into, the, into our life. Because we look at this, these books, and very often, you and I, because this happened to the Jews. These Jews knew the scripture. They had a verbal response to God, which was usually pretty good, but their heart was very far from them. And yesterday, while I was trying to get back to Job, and I, I like to outline at least and, and have some illustrations in my head, I couldn't get back to Jeremiah, and by the night I was so tired I didn't do it. So I'm showing up with four words this morning. Four words. The reason I couldn't get back to it is I had so many broken people who were calling me and saying, my life is just devastated by this and this and this. I said to Brenda, I picked the wrong year to retire, evidently. Um, and this is the way life goes on day by day. We, we present good, we look good, and we can't tell how we're doing because we're looking at the outside. You show up. That's what they were doing. They were showing up at the temple with their sacrifices. Their heart was so far away from God. So this is not a, a condemning, judgmental view of you, me, the Bible, us, the church. It is to show you the power of one guy. God said to him very early in his life, by the way, you're not getting married. And you're not going to have any kids. He said, God, I don't want to be a prophet. God said, too bad. Before you were born, when you were in the womb, I chose you. Now, if you don't like election, you got to admit, that's election. That's election. And I chose you to be a prophet to the nations. He never went to any of these nations except Egypt. And in the end of the book, there are these humongous prophecies about Egypt and Ammon and Assyria, and God says, I, I'm going to do something here, Jeremiah. And the reason I'm going to do it is I am fed up with, I cannot stand, this cannot stay the same. I'm going to bring about a huge judgment on the children of Israel. Now, you would think that if judgment was coming, the people would offer some kind of repentance, some kind of of allegiance to God, and they wouldn't. They just kept saying to God, we don't care. Now you say, well, that's because it was a rebellious nation and they had Manasseh as king. This was under Josiah. They were looking through the temple and they found the book of Deuteronomy. And this 21-year-old king started to read the book of Deuteronomy. It was powerful. It was transforming. They went through all of these changes in Jeremiah. In, uh, as he explains it here. And God says, in a number of occasions, it's the most biographical book of any prophet written. I preached on this about 35 years ago, I found out. I'm sure I have a great appreciation for it now. Um... So I want you to turn to chapter 12. Jeremiah 
is one of the few prophets who, who contend with God. He has a question, and he's going to ask God. And I am amazed at the response of God. I have read probably three times in the last couple of weeks a book called Running with the Horses. It's not about the racetrack or thoroughbreds. It's on the book of Jeremiah by Eugene Peterson. I recommend this book to you, honestly. It is, it is a, Eugene Peterson has a fascinating way of putting words together which explains better than anybody I've read in a long time. And it's taken from the verse that I'm going to read this morning. Uh, and it's chapter 12 and verse 1. I'm reading Job. Where am I? Jeremiah. Uh, just sing another hymn while I get to Jeremiah, will you? Um, sorry about that. Jeremiah chapter 12. This, this is stunning to me. This is Jeremiah's words. You ready? Righteous are you, O Lord. So I'm establishing the fact that the one I'm communicating with is a righteous God. He's always going to do the right thing. When I complain to you, Something is bothering me, Jeremiah says. I'm upset about this. I want the answer to this. Yet I would plead my case before you. Here's the question. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? That is an honest question because I, Jeremiah would say, I'm putting out a lot in my life, God, for you. I want to know why don't you do something about all these people who are wicked? That, that is the question that most people in the culture ask as well. Why does God allow this? If he's a good God, why doesn't he do something about it? Every time there's a tragedy, the why question comes up. Now, Jeremiah is confronting God. And he's saying, uh, I'd like to ask you a question because something doesn't make sense in my life about how you operate. Why do all who are treacherous thrive? And if you look around you, one of these people who called me, his wife said to him, I want you to stop praying for us. I want you to stop talking about us. I am not coming back. And I could sense this guy's absolute hopelessness that something was going on in this relationship that he supposedly knew nothing about. He was busy doing other things and paying no attention to this. And suddenly this woman that he loves says, I don't care. I'm not coming back. Now that gut-wrenching thing, if that happened to you or to me, imagine how God feels when we silently walk away from him. This is what this is about. He says to God, you plant these wicked people and they take root, they grow and produce fruit. You are near to their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me, Jeremiah says. You see me, you test my heart towards you, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. 
All of this is theologically correct, by the way. He's just wondering, God, if you're a God of righteousness, why do you allow other people to prosper when they don't know you? They're not trying hard. I love the way God answers this. Jeremiah has three or four conversations with God like this. You lied to me, he said in 15. Why is my wound so deep and painful and it won't go away? Why don't you do something, God? Verse 4. How long shall the land mourn and the grass of, of, the, of every field wither? For, those, for the evil of those who dwell in it and the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, we, you will not see our latter end. In other words, God, God doesn't know what's happening in my life. God can't stop me from this. I, I, I know I'm heading down, and I don't want to talk about it. And the reason I don't want to talk about it is I am satisfied where I am. There, there comes a certain complacency about our spiritual life where we've worked hard enough and we're at this stage right here and we don't have to go any further. And God is constantly bringing the circumstances of life into our life to make us go deeper than we want to go. And Jeremiah, this beautiful prophet, though he has some questions for God, this is God's amazing answer to him. The Lord answers Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot, this is brilliant. And they have wearied you. In other words, if you're struggling with where you are right now and this is defeating you and you end up with no real happiness and satisfaction, if you're at this stage in your life right here, sort of midway, and you haven't really agonized with God, asked any questions of God, spent some time with God, you were so desperate for God. Things are fine. They're okay. I'm doing good, we say to each other. This is the way God answers this guy. I find it fascinating. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? What does that mean? That means that in life, if you're following Jesus and you're here right now and you're running with men, the race you're running is at least tolerable for you. You can get by. You're not getting very far, but you can get by. God just says, what, what are you going to do when the horses come? How will you contend for horses? And if in the land of peace you are complacent or are at rest, what shall you do in the swelling of Jordan? We are all hoping that we will get older and then die in our sleep. Somebody told me this week, I, I never thought it would end up this way. Our disappointment with the way God uses his sovereignty is confusing to us. It seems like he should judge the bad people and bless the good people. And yet sometimes his agenda for us is more stringent than it is for the people who don't pay attention to him. So God, instead of saying, Jeremiah, I am the Lord God, your Savior, don't ask me those questions. That is the mystery that is 
relevant only to me, and I don't have to give you my excuses. He answers him, by the way. In 15, when Jeremiah is saying, God, I have done this and done that and done that, and you're paying, you're, you're not, I should be exempt from this. I shouldn't have to go through those. And then God merely says to Jeremiah in this wonderful answer, if, if you think this over again and use different words when addressing me, I'll let you be my prophet. See, when somebody approaches you, and God does it all, this time, all the time, when somebody approaches you and they're not, they're not afraid of you, and they just tell you the truth, I, I like those guys. I don't care what you say. I'm on a mission for God to this wicked, wicked nation. How wicked were they? The last king of Judah, when three quarters of the population are in Babylon, Jeremiah writes a letter to the king. And the king sits there with his penknife and he cuts the Bible off. Jeremiah's standing there. And God said, because you did this, I'm going to carry you off to Babylon. They're going to put out your eyes. But before they put out your eyes, you're going to see every son of yours killed before your eyes. And Jeremiah went to him and he said, listen, all you have to do is surrender to the Babylonians and you can eat with the other kings in Babylon for the rest of your life. But there is a hardness that comes to us. Us, right here, us. Not the people who are not here. And God knows that. No revival lasts very long. No relationship of closeness to Jesus lasts very long. So we have to constantly be having this conversation with God. I don't understand what's going on in my life. Why don't you show me? Why don't you make it clear? Why should my wife, I've worked for you for all my life, why should my wife humiliate me? I said to the guy, whether you get your wife back or not, I don't know but you're going to be a different man. See, what God is after is not solving the problem for every single one of us that's so we're happy and comfortable. What God is after is whether anybody else is going to follow hard after me, I am going to follow hard after me. And if you're not, I'm going to try to do as much ministry as I can to you, says Jeremiah. But I'm not stopping because you're stopping. So let me put this in a nutshell. Then I'll give you my four words. I think the question God is asking is this. I'm orchestrating your life. And before you were born, I chose you. And that is true of every single one of us. I chose you. And the purpose I had for your life was never to stay right here where it's comfortable and it's easy. I'm expecting that the purpose that I created you for will be fulfilled in your relationship with me. That, that's, that's for us right here, just these 23, four guys. And me. Sometimes we try to be helpful to people and they just say no. Sometimes we try to help our spouse, our kids, our friends, our church, if we're in ministry. We work on the mission field. Jeremiah didn't end up with a whole lot of converts. 
if that's what you're after. He didn't. But Jeremiah was a beautifully changed guy. Tremendously changed. No kids, no wife, not many converts, very small church. But it was powerful. When Jesus was here on earth, one of the things they said about him when they were asking, who are you? They said, maybe he's Jeremiah. That's quite a compliment. You look like a guy who's the Messiah. Here's my four words. God. Jeremiah. Life. And you. I could have come up with a much more, given another hundred years, a much more, much more eloquent outline for that. But God has been working in my heart. I guess that's how it is when you preach. It's got to go through you first. And I'm asking God, why are you so offended? Why are you so upset? Why does this bother you so much? He says, because I'm God. I'm God, and this is the way my people that I brought out of Egypt, which was a picture of the redemption of every single person who gets saved when that sacrificial lamb was killed. I am their God, and they are different from every other people on the earth, and they're not paying one bit of attention to me, and they don't really care. It's, it's all outward. I said to the guy who's, lost his wife. When did you notice that there was something between you and your wife? He said, I didn't. How did Israel get to this place where Manasseh would teach them more evil than the people around them? Slowly. Can I say that? Slowly. Today, tomorrow. They still showed up at church, at feast, with sacrifices. But it had nothing to do with this God, Jehovah. They just wanted comfort. They wanted a safe place. They didn't want anybody barking and preaching at them. In fact, they said to Jeremiah on many occasions, shut your mouth. And they were going to kill him on a number of occasions. Sometimes you can talk to people about almost anything and you bring up God and how they are and where they are and why they're stuck in this place. Why is there no great love affair with God? I've asked lots of people this in their marriage. Some of them are... One guy told me, I was always aware of everybody else's sin but I never saw mine. He was pretty angry because I was pressing him. And he said, and now I see mine. I think personally what God wants to do for us here as a church is to get every single man and every single woman 
to take a look at where you are. You may need somebody else to help you with that and say, God, I'm, I'm stuck. And I need to start running with the horses. I need to keep going. See, I've told you already that this year is the end of my official ministry with restoration, but in the back of my mind, I know God is not going to let me stop there if I have breath. See, my responsibility, above everything else I do, my responsibility is to love the Lord my God with all my heart. And these guys weren't doing this. And when you don't do this and somebody approaches you about this, you get mad, just like my friend's wife got mad. She said, how about we go up and see Al Cabral? Al Cabral? That's the last person I want to see. Why? Because have I been hateful to her? No, I, I just, I'm going to talk to her about God. She says, I'm doing fine. Is she? People lie when they're not doing good. She's not doing fine. How does that happen? I'm explaining to this guy, who's almost as old as I am. This is the deceitfulness of sin that gives me an evaluation of myself and my circumstances, which are not true. This God who led them out of Egypt and allowed Manasseh. Do you remember Hezekiah when God told him he was going to die? He went, I don't want to die. Do I have to die? And Isaiah went to see him and he said, okay, I'm going to put this lump of figs on your body, heal your boil, and you get 15 more years. During that 15 more years that he wanted, Manasseh was born. 55 years and God doesn't remove this king. Some of them only reigned for two years. And then this little boy, eight years old, he starts to grow up. Same family, same circumstances. And God gets a hold of this little kid. For those of you who work in Awana and Sunday school and truck and, and all these kind of things, you have no idea in the world what God decided before these kids ever got here what they're going to do. So I would say do your job very, very well with them. That generation's gone. Jeremiah's sitting there and thinking, God, how could you be so great and be treated so unkindly? I feel sorry for you. I said to someone this week, why should you have it any better than God has it? Every day, every week, God struggles with people who don't like him anymore. He allowed something, he did something, they don't like him anymore. They will tell you. They don't like him anymore. And when somebody tells you that in a friendship or a marriage or your son or your daughter, you are extremely hurt. How do you think Almighty God feels when we walk away from him for other gods? I am not going to the mission field. I'm not wasting my life on these ignorant people, is the response of some. I am going to marry this guy. I don't care whether he's a believer or not. And, and here's God in the background. 
and he's looking for a man, just one man, because one man can have an awful lot of influence, to stand up and say, I'm for God. I don't mind what's coming if they're horses, and this means I need to suffer more, and more things can be taken away from me. Because they're all, all the things you're holding on to so very dearly, someday somebody's going to back a truck up to your house and get rid of all of that stuff, and most of it will probably go to the dump. And Jeremiah, unwillingly, is put into this situation where not much is going to happen except God is going to glorify himself. So if you're in it for what you get out of it, if you're in ministry for what you get out of it, what if God takes that ministry away from you? This is what I've struggled with for two years. Who am I if I'm not Al Cabral, the preacher, teacher, counselor? And God has helped me to understand that his evaluation of me as well as you and everybody else has nothing to do with your performance. That can be an idol. What scared me the most, and I told him before I left the house is, normally I have this thing all worked out and I know exactly what I'm going to say and I can't speak like that anymore. I, just, I can't. I've lost that. So, I put it in my head and I put it in my head again and I put it in my head again and what's coming out is what's coming out of my heart. It's not, you notice I haven't read a note yet because I only got four words. And this God is offended. And he is so offended, he's willing for his temple to be this beautiful, magnificent temple to be destroyed. This is the other side of God. By the other side of God, I mean God is not just holy, righteous, sovereign. He cares what we do about what we do. And he said, if they won't listen to me, I'll take away this thing that they're most interested in, which is this glorious temple. I'll let the Babylonians, who are the real pagans here, I'll let the Babylonians come in and destroy it. Because God... If he's in the not in the temple, it's just a building. And he says, I'm going to take you almost a thousand miles over to Babylon to a language you don't understand. And you're going to be there for 70 years. Why would God do that? Because his glory is more important than your comfort. And anybody who has ever suffered... knows that there is more to God than me being healthy. There is more to God than me being loved and assured of that love by the people I'm around. Nobody liked Jeremiah. And he was God's man. So we have God who is holy and is saying, I'm willing for them to destroy the temple and, and leave only the poor there and the, and the place is going to fall apart. It'll be nothing without me. I'm, I'm willing to do that because I'm God and you're offending me. You're offending me grossly. So we have God and we have Jeremiah. And he says some of the most wonderful things in this book. He said on one occasion, 
I'm not going to mention the name of God anymore. That's the way it is. I'll take my scroll and go home. I'm just not speaking for God anymore because nothing happens when I speak. And this is what it says. His secretary wrote this down. Barack. But there was in my heart this fire, this burning which, which consumed me so that I couldn't not talk about God. I want to quit, he said. I can't quit. I want to stop. I want to stay right where I am. Now they like me a little bit, but God, you're pushing me towards having less friends with this message of judgment. I'm going to end up with nobody but you. God says, that'll be good. Just me and you and the power of God. Now, thankfully, most of us don't get a ministry like Jeremiah. (laughs) This is one courageous, brave guy. And the response of God to his complaining question is, I want to know about this. Why? 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 Why does it always have to be my family? I actually called somebody and said, listen, if this couple is going to talk to me on Sunday, this is the battle, see. This is always where life is lived out in this battle. I'm wondering if I can use your church. I've used it a number of times, and I'd like to bring these people here. And I didn't tell him the situation. I just said, I'm going to bring a couple, and he knows I'm a counselor. And um, as I'm talking to this guy, the pastor of this church, he is saying to me, I said, how are you doing? He said, things are going pretty good. This is what's going on in my family. He's a wonderful, wonderful pastor. These are all the things that are going on in my, with my family and in my life. And I could tell this guy is down. The burden is, is so incredibly heavy for him. It's difficult to carry on. He's not going to quit. It's just, it's difficult. And I, I'm, I'm sure you realize that at times, if it wasn't that you were connected to God, you just chuck the whole thing. You would walk away. It's like you have a bad job and you're going to go work for somebody else. And God said, who else are you going to go work for? You can't find anybody better than me. So we have God who's the sovereign king of the universe. And he said to Jeremiah on one occasion, when God asked Jeremiah to go out and buy a piece of land, any of you have real estate? I know Paul owns half of Somerville. Um, Real estate is a very wonderful thing. And God said to Jeremiah, before the last of the people went into captivity, he said to him, Jeremiah, your cousin is coming to you this week and he, he wants to sell you a piece of land like the Brooklyn Bridge. The Babylonians are encamped on this land right now. And I want you to buy it. And what exactly am I going to do with a piece of land in enemy territory? No, I want you to buy it because I want you to show the people that even in my judgment, I'm going to bring them back. This isn't going to help you at all. You're never going to live or farm on this piece of land. But I want you to pay for it, and I want you to sign the deed, and I want you to wrap it up and put it in an urn, 
And I want you to keep that because in 70 years, some of your relatives are coming back and you will have this land. See, that's the kind of stuff God asks you to do. Do something now that will have no benefit to you, but it will benefit people long after you die. Look at Jeremiah, 2,500 years later, we're still talking about the guy. And we go, that's a bad investment. No idiot, or you got to be an idiot to do something like that, unless God is asking you. And then he says, ah, whenever Jeremiah says, ah, you know something good's coming. Ah, Lord God, ah, Lord God. You who created the heavens and the earth, nothing is impossible for you. It's in life where we learn these truths about God. Anyway, he bought it. He sealed it up. And he got taken by these guys into Egypt, and they stoned him to death eventually. You say, Al, why don't you ever pick a happy story? That is a happy story. Because most of what God is going to do in you, many, many other people will know nothing about it, but he will. And you can see Jeremiah paying out the money for this house. And he learned something about God. He said, Lord, there is nothing impossible for you. Way down here on the page, it says, I am the Lord God. Is there anything too hard for me? He's asking, he turned the statement into a question. Is there anything too hard for me? Do you really believe that in your life, Jeremiah? Because next week is coming up. And the next thing that's going to happen in your life is coming soon. And our relationship with God sometimes is related to what he brings into our life. Lots of people just say, I'm fed up with this. And I'm quitting. And you can take a perfectly nice, sweet lady who's pretending to love God and turn her into a vicious egotistical, nasty person. How does that happen? Slowly. See, she, she never stopped going to church. She never stopped showing up. It's just inside. She never showed up. God is not half as much interested in what you're going to do for him as your relationship. And Jeremiah is learning this. Uh, as a prophet of God, I should have a little flexibility here. And God said, you tell them what I've told you. Who else do we know like that? The Messiah who was mistaken for Jeremiah. The father said to him, son, you had everything. Now you're going to have to lose everything. Even your life. He said, I want you to do something on that cross that is not going to benefit you in any way, but it's going to benefit every person born after this day that the possibility of getting into heaven is there. And like the greater than Jeremiah, the son offered himself as the sacrifice for our sin. It's pretty amazing. So we have God, who is this phenomenal person, and we have the prophet, who's a pretty good guy, very spiritual, good heart. And God keeps putting him in these really hard and difficult places. 
The reason is you don't learn very much when things are going good. You don't. <clears throat> we lose our sense of appreciation of God when we can handle things. You, you can run with men. Yes, and that's as far as I'm going. I'm definitely not contending with horses. I'm not running with horses. It's too much. You're asking of me too much. And then every once in a while, we see the life of somebody, and it is so appealing to us. It's not what the, how the person speaks. It's not how the person writes. It's not how the person um, counsels. It, it's none of that. It is the person that is making the impression. It is the soul of Jeremiah who worships a God who has another side to him who will stand up to you. And he'll say to you, so you've run with the footmen and they have wearied you. What are you going to do at the swelling of the Jordan? You think things are going to stay like this? They're going to get tougher. So Jesus comes and there's miracles and there's walking on the water and there's water into wine and there's feeding of the 5,000. It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry Jesus has. Thousands of people. If you showed up in town as a preacher and there were 5,000 people there to hear you, you'd go, oh, man. Uh, things are going really good now. Suppose nobody shows up. Every Saturday morning, we sit around here. I I'm amazed. I'm amazed what God says to us during Saturday mornings. Why he would bother for the eight or ten or however many people we have here. But I don't know. I, I find that pretty amazing. And I'm the, I'm the speaker. But I find it amazing that God would be so kind to us as we meet. It started off with anybody have anything to share. And so people share. And then Al starts talking. I say that as humbly as I can because some days I can't even think straight. And God says, wherever I find a bunch of guys who really want to go a little bit deeper with me, I'm, I'm willing to, and I'll take the time on Saturday. That's, that's not a commercial for Saturday. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you that there is not a lot of people in the culture. They want to go to heaven. They want their sins forgiven. They want God to bless them, but they don't want to get near God. No, I don't want to talk to him. That's that. I'll do ministry. I'll run around, but I don't want that. And then we have life. God, Jeremiah, life. It's unrelenting. It's backbreaking. And the question is always, what will it take to stop you? I, d I don't mean retiring. I mean stop you from loving God, from serving God, from being interested in God's people. Because that's exactly what the enemy will work on. And lots of people have stopped. This is the other side of God, the inner soul of Jeremiah and the hidden complexities of life. The hidden complexities of life. This morning, we mentioned a couple of times this little 13-year-old girl who is struggling with her life. Can you explain that to me, please? I know some 13-year-olds who probably need to be judged and die, but this isn't one of them. Can you explain God to me? 
I don't think you can. Jeremiah says, I want, I want some reasons for why you do what you do. And yet this brilliant, sovereign, magnificent God doesn't find it necessary to explain to you, even if you are the recipient of the life that you're living, he finds no necessity to explain to you why he does what he does. Because he's much bigger than we are. Here's my last point. The opportunities for us to run. This presents so many opportunities for us to, to run, to keep running, to keep caring. As you get a little bit older, I'm not real old. A few years ago, I went to the doc and she said, Al, you're not old till you're 70. I'm almost there, so I'm in that category now. But I still have some opportunities. You're going to stop because you're sick. You're going to stop because you don't feel good. You're going to stop because you've been offended. You're going to stop because you were ministering once and somebody criticized you and, and doesn't like you. So I'm interested in your ministry, says God, but I'm more interested in where your heart is. I am, I am desperately interested in your heart because I'm not going to ask you to do some things that you will not understand. Things that will make you pay a personal sacrifice here. And I'm God. I'm going to ask you to follow me by faith. This was so funny this morning. I left and I said, God, I talk to him a lot. I'm going over with four words. When I get up there, I would appreciate it if you would um, give me enough flexibility so that I'd be able to speak in English. And that I would remember some of what I couldn't write down but is in my heart and in my head. God just says, Jeremiah, I'm in control here. And when you take those incredible thoughts of yours and subject them to me, then you can get back to being a prophet. And by the way, you're coming to me complaining about a ministry, the sovereign God that I gave to you that you're having questions about because there's no results in this. If this wearies you, how will you ever contend with horses? So I think the question is this. Am I up to the challenge? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, congregationally, am I up to saying to God, I'm willing to run with the horses. I have no idea what they are, when they're coming. But I want to be able to say yes to you. Now, during all of this, I was sharing with Matt. We walk a little bit in the gym in the morning, and I'm explaining some stuff to him, and like him and me and you, we have stuff going on in our lives. So I asked him yesterday if he would just share with you for a couple of minutes. Thank you, thank you. Only got about an hour. I'm just kidding. I'll be very brief. Um, many of you know the journey that my family and I have been on. We 
following the Lord's call on our lives, left uh, a very awesome ministry in southern Ontario, very fruitful ministry, uh, very joyful. It was just very good. And uh, following what we believe to be the Lord's calling, we left all that, sold our house, and moved out here awaiting for God to open the door for us to move into Maine to uh, a church that uh, is in has been in great need of, of God to, to do something in. And so we started that journey, that path, trusting, walking by faith, which is what we have grown so comfortable in saying. But what I've learned along the way uh, is actually what, it, what it's supposed to mean to walk by faith. Um, our life as believers is to be a life of faith. But for me, what I failed to realize is a lot of things that, that Al touched on, so I'm not going to say a whole, whole lot, but what I realize is when, when things are always going well, uh, you, you can actually really stop walking by faith very quickly and very easily. Um, and I fell, I fell prey to that. I didn't know it at the time. Um, so when we arrived here last September expecting any day to have our visa approved. Um, that's what, that's what I, I just waited on. God's been good to me. He's been good to my family. And this is going to happen any day. <laughs> we still say it's going to happen any day. Now we're nine months later. In the process, um, God has used many circumstances in my own life, uh, through my children, through my wife, um, to, to humble me time and time again and to remind me that he is to be in control. As men, we, we tend to fall into the category of, I can fix this, so I'm going to do it. Uh, I, I actually have the ability to control this. Uh, a lot of my heart, even at times, is saying, God, you know, these people in Machias, they really need somebody. You know, open the door so that I can go save this church. I never said that, but in, in the end, that was kind of where my heart was at, and, and God needed to reveal that to me. So in nine months of waiting uh, and even questioning at times, God, what are you doing? Um, God brought me to a place last week where uh, I needed to give all of that up and to say to God, God, today I recommit myself to you and the calling you've placed on my life. I'm going to trust you even if it doesn't make sense. So I went away. Last Wednesday, came home from thinking all this through and said to Marcy, Marcy, I just need to, you know, together with you, just recommit before the Lord our, our focus on the calling he's laid on our lives to go to Machias. And, you know, thoughts were starting to creep in. What do we do? It's been so long. Is, do we need to step away? And God was saying, no, let me take care of it. So I, I went away on Thursday. I said to Marcy, I just need some time by myself. I'm going to bring my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. Uh, so I went to Bangor and I sat down. I started to read through the book of Jeremiah. And uh, I started to write down just the references of, of verses that God was using to speak to me. And I realized that was taking me too long, so I stopped and just kept reading. Uh, but I want to read to you um, what I wrote before I started to read on a little note here. On June 2nd, 2016, I covenant before God to give of myself, mind, body, and soul completely to his service for Jesus' sake, to set aside all my personal, selfish passions and desires, to seek his face and his kingdom above all, to lead my wife, children, and church as Jesus would 
and asks me to do. Today I begin again. Jeremiah is where I'm reading. God speak to me. And in verse 10, uh, he says, Jeremiah says, as he's grieving before the Lord, I know, Lord, that a man's ways of life is not his own. No one who walks determines his own steps. The greatest lesson that I've been learning uh, is that God allows us to go through joy, sorrow, difficulty, success, and all situations and circumstances to make much of himself. And that's all of Jeremiah, uh, like Al said, to bring glory to himself. He works in us to bring glory to himself, not to me, not to rescue this church, uh, not to allow me to lead a bunch of people to the Lord or, or even uh, see restoration in people's lives, but to bring glory to himself and to teach us, to teach me to enjoy him as he's doing this. And uh, Jeremiah 9.24 is where God rested my soul. It says, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, says the Lord, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness justice and righteousness on earth for I delight in these things declares the Lord and then I just want to end with 3240 that says I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good I'm 32 years old Uh, to some of you that brings back awesome memories of the days of old And others aren't too far away removed. But even at 32, like the beginning of Jeremiah, when he's trying to run away from what God is calling him to do, he says, God, don't let me do this. I'm I'm too young. I don't want to do this. I protest. God says, well, it's you I want to do. It's you I want to use. I want to do them good. And I will put the fear of man in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. The infinite heart of God is engaged in doing me infinite good. And how he goes about doing that is totally up to him, not up to me. On Friday morning, I woke up, I did my devotions. And Psalm 143 and verse 8 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for I entrust you with my life. That very night, we got news that our uh, application for a visa had been denied after waiting for nine months. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. Um, but I, I could not help but know, not think, but to know that that was God moving and, and honoring the time that I had set aside to seek his face in this time of struggle for me. Because I, I, I needed an answer. And God needed to chisel away my heart of the things that I thought I could control myself. And, and he did. <laughs> and then he said, no. I still haven't figured it all out. There are options that uh, we're looking at as a church um, to see if there's a way that we can appeal this decision. Uh, and, and I trust in him. And I trust in him that he's going to open that door. But you know what's even more awesome? I've been able with my wife to get to a place, even though it hurts and my heart is very heavy, to say that if at the end of this appeal process, uh, if it's still a no, 
That's okay. I'd have never been okay with that a month ago. <laughs> but in the end, chapter 42, verse 44 says, Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, I will obey the voice of the Lord God. We will certainly obey the voice of the Lord our God. And that's my desire. This is a song that's meant a lot to Marcy and I. In the last few months, I'd like to sing it for you if I can get through it. For Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need.